Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. It's cracking, Philly. Get out the Crisco. Start greasing up the light poles because Bryce Harper is coming to town. If you had been looking for a reason to tomahawk a gray goose bottle at somebody sitting up on a traffic light, now you've got one. Now is the time. The news broke just as this show was ending yesterday. Bryce Harper is signing with the Philadelphia Phillies. Of course he is. That was always going to be the result. For all the talk about the Dodgers coming in with heavy money on a short deal or the Giants being the sleeper and coming in late, there was no way that Harper was going to leave guaranteed money on the table, nor should he. And then came the actual contract details. 330 mil over 13 years. Wait, what? The 330. That makes sense. That was the number that had been kicked around a whole lot, especially since that pretty much was going to be what it would take to beat Giancarlo Stanton for the biggest contract ever. And we knew that Bryce Harper had to have the biggest contract ever. We knew that was important to him. What we didn't know, though, was the 13 years. Now, that's a bit of a curveball. And that means that he's going to take less money per year than Manny Machado. So he obviously was not about getting the most money per average or annually. If he had done that, or if that was important to him, he would have taken the Dodgers offer. That was not important to him or as important to him. That figure is less than Manny Machado. In fact, that figure is less per year than a number of guys. That figure per year doesn't even put him in the top 10. That figure per year is not even what A-Rod made annually. It's not what Clayton Kershaw makes per year. It's not even what Johan Sotana, Santana was making per year. All right, but what about the opt-outs? What about the opt-outs? If he didn't get what those guys are getting per year, he must be getting the opt-outs, right? I mean, everybody knows that he really does want to be in Philadelphia. If you want to be in Philadelphia, what took so long? So probably he got an opt-out at four or five years so then he can get his cash and bolt for the West Coast in his early 30s on a new deal. Right? Wrong. No opt-outs. Not an opt-out. So that's huge for Philadelphia. Not just for the team, but for the city because it says that Harper wants to be there. He wants to be a Philly for life. He does not want to go anywhere else. So for all the talk that he was all about the money, he's taking less per year for a longer contract with no opt-outs so he can play in a place that he allegedly didn't want to be, Philadelphia. That means that if everything goes according to plan, he will go into the Hall of Fame as a Philadelphia Philly. And if that's not reason enough to make Philly fan get up and eat a celebratory pile of horse crap, then I don't know what is. They just got the biggest rock star in baseball, and he's all theirs. The deal says he's all in. There's not a risk of him leaving in a few years if he doesn't like it. Nobody is clowning the city of brotherly love right about now. And of course, there are going to be people who jump all over it saying that it's way too much money, the contract is way too long, that the guy's not even a good defensive player, that as Tom Verducci said on this show, he never once left his feet to make a play in the field last year that he plays the most replaceable position in baseball, that the guy is injury-prone, that there's no way the deal is going to pay off, that he's not worth it. Right. Right. And? I mean, and? Look, if you've been one of those people that's been griping about baseball owners and how greedy they are and the fact that they won't pay players, then it's kind of hard to complain when the Phillies step up and they pay this guy the way they did. If your argument has been that front offices are too obsessed with stats and finding value in middle relievers than paying for stars, then it's kind of hard to point to this guy's war and say that it's a bad move or that he's not worth it. Because here's the thing. They aren't just signing his glove or his bat or what he can do in a bandbox ballpark that he dominated as a visitor or even his war. They're signing this guy for his star power. They're signing this guy because he's the rare thing that does live up to the hype. A guy who was on the cover of SI at 16, an all-star at 19, an MVP at 22, and he just signed the biggest deal in baseball at 26. Is he the next Mickey Mantle? No. 
That's another guy who I'm going to get to in a second. But he is maybe the only rock star in the game, and that does matter. I mean, how many other MLB players have ever had an interview, an answer to an interview, go viral the way Bryce Harper has? Better yet, how many other MLB stars even have a personality? I mean, seriously, how many can you name? Brian Wilson getting fined for having too much awesome on his feet was a long time ago. Having too much awesome on my feet? I mean, awesome moment. Awesome moment that he had too much awesome on his feet. But that was a long time ago. And so was Wilson and the machine. And Wilson being a certified ninja and showing up on my show with what appeared to be a sex mask. Brian, it's a great job. It's good to spend time with you. Lived up to all the hype. I appreciate yeah, it. You're, you're well, Hold on a second. You got something for me? Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying right there. Hello. Machine. <laughs> service is bad in here. It's, it's the black. Well, the service it's is fine, man. It's that, uh, that blower you're rocking. Um, machine. Yeah, what's up, bud? <laughs> You've met the machine? I don't know the machine. He doesn't talk much. He just He's just breathing. What do you want to do right now? I'm on Rome, bro, so you're going to have to spit it out. No, we can't have you on the show. You did what to my back pocket? Hold on a second. He wants to meet. It's a sweet phone, man. And, uh, sweet phone. <laughs> All right. He doesn't have much to say, but I... Brian, like, good seeing you. I feel like he just wants to be heard. All right, if you don't mind, I'm going to get out of here right about now. <laughs> See ya. I miss that guy. I miss that guy very much. That was J-R-I-B back in 2010. We don't have guys like that anymore. We don't have moments like that anymore. Harper is not going to roll with the machine or talk about taking ninja classes, but he does have it. He's got it. All you need to know is that answer that dropped when a reporter asked him a question that he didn't like. I don't need to play the drop because if you know sports, you already know that. And you know that it's a catchphrase that has been beaten into the ground. Hell, there were U.S. senators using that in an attempt to be cool. When was the last time anybody tried to reference baseball in an attempt to be cool? And yes, the next extra-long, ultra-long contract like this that pays off for the team at the end of the contract will be the first. The league is littered with guys who signed huge deals that look good for the first half, and then were giant anchors in the second half of that contract. I get that. There is no sure thing. It's not my money. But 330 mil is a lot of not my money. Now, that said, if you're looking for a bargain at the back end of a 10-year contract, you are looking in the wrong place. And even if you were, you just found it. Look, I'm not looking to turn this into an accounting and finance show. But if everybody expected 330 mil for 10 years and Philadelphia got him at that price for 13 years, they're effectively getting this guy three years for free, Right? And it gives them financial freedom for something else, which I will get to in a minute. Bryce Harper was always going to sign with the Phillies. That was always going to happen. And now that it has, Philly fan, that is the best reason for you to party, climb poles, and eat horse crap. I got that out of the video. CJ Nikowski is my guest. CJ, good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing well. You just reminded me of the hell that I'm getting ready to enter as the season starts, which is the wonderful world of travel for best, me for the next seven months. Best thing ever. Worst thing ever. I know. <laughs> I know. All right, let me double back to that in a minute. But first, the news breaks yesterday that Bryce Harper signs with Philadelphia for $330 million over 13 years. CJ, initially, what was your reaction when you saw those numbers and the announcement? Well, I tell you what, the 13 years are what really grabbed me maybe more than anything. I mean, you know, we had really hadn't heard anything. I know, of course, we've seen Stanton have a contract with that kind of length on it, but that really wasn't a rumor that was floating around at all. And as the Dodgers and the Giants got in on this thing, I felt like the Philadelphia Phillies were just being used as a pawn to get more money uh, out of the Giants or the Dodgers. And I started to actually feel a little bit bad for Philly fans because it seemed like they were getting him and then it seemed like they were not. And the fact that they were able to get this thing turned around and get it done is a real testament, I think, to what the Philadelphia Phillies did. I mean, their ownership group and the time that they put in uh, for John Middleton to make multiple visits to Las Vegas uh, to sit down uh, with Bryce Harper and really hammer this thing out, but also show them the interest level and how important uh, he was going to be to their club, um, I think speaks a lot to their effort level to get this done after losing out on Manny Machado and wanting to spend, as they said, stupid money uh, this offseason. This isn't stupid money because when you start to look at the AAV, the age of Bryce Harper, they're not putting themselves in the corner where they can't do anything else. 
going forward, and they got themselves a player who wants to be there uh, in a big way. And he also proved that to us uh, by not getting any opt-outs in the contract. That part is pretty amazing when you consider how often players are getting those opt-outs. If you've been dragging your feet on taking care of very important business like life insurance, Select Quote could not make it any easier. If you're like me, you've got a mortgage and a family who depends on your income, then you need to protect the ones you love with life insurance. Life insurance can pay off a mortgage or it can help send the kids to college. It's peace of mind. Now, you might think you can't afford it. Chances are, SelectQuote can help you get it for less than a buck a day. So yes, you can afford it. Here's how this works. Select Quote Comparison shops up to 10 highly rated companies, including Prudential, Banner Life, and Mutual of Omaha, and others, to find you the company with the very best rates. This is the best way to shop for life insurance. And Select Quote is an amazing option because they comparison shop and they save you time. They do all of this legwork for you. Life insurance is critical. If you pass, life insurance is your income replacement. It can help your spouse or partner pay off the mortgage or pay for college. So let Select Quote save you time and money. Get your free quote at selectquote.com slash Rome today. Selectquote.com slash Rome and get a free quote. Do not put off protecting your family another day. Selectquote.com slash Rome. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your premium could vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors not available in all states. I mean, CJ, how realistic was it that Harper and Scott Boris would leave guaranteed money on the table and sign with somebody like L.A. for more money per year but a shorter deal? Was that ever an option, in your opinion? Not the real short deal, but I thought maybe if they had gone, say, it was eight or nine years, and maybe they were 20 or 30 million short, even though that 20 or 30 short in California means even more than that compared to playing in Philadelphia, I thought they had a real chance. Not, not again, not on a four-year deal, but maybe on an eight or nine or even 10-year deal, just because you got the impression that he wanted to go to the biggest market he could possibly go to. We know he's not afraid of the spotlight, and we know he wants to win in a big way. He has talked about that throughout his career, and I know some guys give you that as lip service, to me, it's always felt like it's been sincere with him. Like, it matters only if you have rings. And I think he wants him in the worst way. And I thought maybe there was a chance the Dodgers could sell that as a better chance, being to the World Series each of the last two years and losing and, and selling him on being the guy that's going to take them over the top and doing it in a monster market in Los Angeles, I thought would have been a huge selling point. Plus, obviously, being from Vegas, spring training, being in Arizona, I thought geographically they had a little bit of an advantage as well. Um, none of that turned out to be true. I was really wrong on that uh, by a lot. And uh, both the Giants and the Dodgers uh, could not convince him to come west, even if it was for a little bit less money. We're talking to CJ Nikowski. So one more thought. I mean, I guess I guess you could make the argument that Philadelphia could have signed Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell for the money that they're giving to Harper. I mean, maybe you can make the argument that it might have meant more wins. But given how Philly's ownership was talking about what you mentioned, stupid money, how important was it that they landed this guy? I think from a marketing standpoint, it was really big for them, you know, just because it's been out there. And we know they were going to spend money. They started doing it last year, right? They got over the hurdles of the older contracts that finally expired. They went into their rebuild, and they were going to spend again. This is a team that's still not at their highest payroll that they've ever had. I mean, you go back a few years to 2014, their payroll is at $183 million. They're only about, two, about $20 million short of that right now. So they still have money to spend. But the point being for them is they, they talked about landing one of the big guys and again, when the Dodgers and the Giants got in, I was thinking they're not getting either one of these guys because Machado's already gone, and they're going to have to pivot to guys like Kimbrell or uh, Dallas Keuchel, which they seem like they're only interested in on short-term deals. So it was, it was really important to them. Again, I think going back to the, the effort from the ownership group and how much time they put in uh, to let him know how important it was tells us everything that we need to know. And for Philly fans who three days ago were feeling it, even two days ago, like, oh, my gosh, they, just, I mean, they were so stung, the ones that I talked to. And we, whether they're calling in or people that I know here, friends of mine that are Phillies fans, they were, they were feeling really burned. And uh, luckily for them, it turned out not to be the way that we thought it was going to go. And I think even what we've seen from, you know, we're hearing 100,000 tickets sold yesterday afternoon uh, just on this Bryce Harper news. I think also kind of goes to your point of what a big deal it was that they needed to get him signed. Right. Three days ago, Philly fan wanted to fight this guy, and now he is the guy. <laughs> CJ Nikowski joining us. So what about the Dodgers? Now they make that run at Harper. They didn't get him. CJ, if you're L.A., what's a bigger concern, not getting Bryce Harper or the health of Clayton Kershaw's shoulder? 
Yeah, so I think when you look at them, they're definitely a team, and for a lot of these teams, when you say, okay, well, they were in for a really crazy high AAZ, right? We heard maybe three years at $45 million a year, four years at 42. That does not mean that that's money they have a place to spend uh, somewhere else. And, you know, Bryce Harper in that lineup certainly would have made them better, but they're not short on left-handed pop, right? Corey Seager will be back. Uh, Cody Bellinger gives you left-handed pop. Max Muncy does as well. And even Jock Peterson, even though he's not the same player, um, they have other areas in which they can address. I think their lineup is fine. The Kershaw stuff is a little bit scary. A depth of rotation for them over these last few years is something that they've become better at. I think when that new group first took over with Andrew Friedman, they were very short uh, in rotation depth. Now, the good news is, I mean, even a healthy Kershaw, and this is uh, almost sacrilegious to say, Walker Buehler is going to be the ace of that that staff before the season's over, even if Kershaw's healthy. I mean, this guy is that good. Um, but you still want a healthy Clayton Kershaw, and you want to go into a postseason knowing that they're your one and two. They can afford to probably be careful and slow play a little bit with Kershaw. If it's something significant, uh, then they may pivot and get into the Dallas Keiko market. Uh, but as of right now, we're hearing that it's not that serious, or they don't believe that it is. Um, but they're deep enough, enough veteran guys in that rotation um, where even if he had to miss a little bit of time, I think they can still hang in there and win the division. CJ Nikowski joining us for a few more moments. Let me change up on you. There's been some new rules to crack down on high-tech sign stealing, including where non-broadcast cameras can be located. How much of that's going on, CJ? And for somebody who's been around the game a long time, how much is sign stealing just a part of the game? Like, what's okay and what's not? I think player-to-player is okay technology stealing is probably not right yeah and it's not the first time the, the rumors have been swirling forever uh going back to the mid-90s and probably even before that um i mean listen the bobby thompson home run there's a lot of controversy surrounding that and whether or not there was actually signals uh, as far as what pitches were coming uh, from the scoreboard you hear those kind of rumors but i know for me uh in the mid-90s especially late 90s into the 2000s there was always rumblings about certain ballparks where they would use a camera and there would be an indicator to let a hitter know that a fastball is coming. That's crossing the line. I think that's still um, believed by players today. And obviously there's even more opportunities with better cameras, better technology. You know, we had the issue with the uh, Apple Watch and dugouts and everything else. But as far as, you know, a player picking up, standing out in second base and picking up the signs or a hitter peeking in or even a third base coach who gets a good look at the catcher's signs and relays them accordingly, to me that's fair game because that's on you as the player, the pitcher, the catcher, and everybody else to make sure that doesn't happen. But the idea of zooming in with cameras, studying the signs, picking it up as far as what they're using pretty quickly, especially now that we limit mound visits, that has to be off limits. That can't happen. All right, so since you're getting ready to enter travel hell, I don't want this thing to start any sooner than it has to. Let me change up one more time. You're a father. So mm-hmm. when you're playing basketball in the driveway with your 10-year-old, how are you approaching that? For instance, are you blocking everything that goes at the hoop to send a message, or do you dial it back because it's your boy and you love him? I'm, so I'm, about, I'm probably about an 80% guy, but I always go back to an interview that I watched from John Bolton, a guy that worked with him broadcasting, played with with the Braves, who said that his father never let him win in anything. And John Smoltz is about as competitive as an athlete as I've ever been around, regardless uh, of what you're doing, whether you're playing golf, baseball, darts, it doesn't matter. Uh, and I like that. Um, so there's, there's, a, there's a, a line there somewhere where you don't want to discourage your kid, where you're just batting every ball into the bushes and he's got to go get it on top of that because you know as a dad you're not getting it. He's got to go get it. Um, but you've you got to let him get by once in a while. You've got to let him get that layup and make sure he's having fun with it. Uh, and even if he's a little bit of a trash talker. So I'm, a, I'm probably about an 80-20 guy. Just make sure that dads are always coming out on top when the score is I was going to say that you're the 80-20 rule. So finally, like, explain this for all the dads. There's that line, right? I mean, you want to make them tougher, but you don't want to kill or squash their spirit altogether, right? <laughs> exactly. You want them to still play sports. And my wife's just as bad because she was an athlete, played softball in college, and she is as competitive, not more competitive uh, than me. And uh, the ping pong table's gotten a little nasty here lately in the Nikowski house because uh, nobody lets up, uh, nobody relents. And, uh, you know, maybe a broken paddle here once in a while, but ultimately I think that's the, that's the kind of children I want to raise. He played 10 years in the major leagues. He was the ninth pick overall back in 1994, an MLB analyst, a host on MLB radio, C.J. Nikowski, my guest. C.J., great to visit with you. I know you've got a busy day. Thanks for joining us once again. Yeah, my pleasure, Jim. Always, always fun to catch up with you. Matt in L.A. I don't mind. He's solid enough. What's up, Matt? Van Schmacker, oh, helicopter. Thanks to the vine, pimp. From Chatsworth to Chattanooga, from Chi-Town to Sri Lanka, you're welcome. My folks at the CBS Sports Net, NYC and OC, 
get all my love, man, like short order cooks get from a belly Clarkson sit down all day, every day. Whether I'm smacking bad breath, extreme calitosis in Las Vegas like a newborn, or taking a run at just average Jeff in Richmond with his peacock and pigeon lunch spread at the Richmond Ranch Hand Rodeo Rehearsal, your boy Matt in L.A.'s sole purpose is pumping up the jungle to a fever pitch, pimp. Uh, but that's not why I called. I'm calling to congratulate Captain Collusion, <laughs> Agent Orange Face, <laughs> Scott Borath, on fetching Bag Harper the richest contract in North American sports history. Also, has there ever been a better marriage, pimp, than Bag Harper, an excremental Philly fan? Yeah, uh, no. So, Borath. STFU about that empty threat that is a player's strike, you ornamental orange face toolbox. And Vamoose, Borass, we've had enough of you. That's all I got, Jim. Outro. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that made me laugh. Most of that made me laugh. In fact, all of that made me laugh. Go ahead, Alvin, rack him. Is Matt in LA officially in the smack off? Is Matt in LA officially in the smack off? Hey, Avi, are you in front of a microphone? Can you get to a microphone? Go ahead, Alvin. Just do it. Everybody move over a chair. It's going to be a short Q&A, Alvin. This is not going to be hard. I'm not going to put you in a bad spot. You can handle this. Step up to the mic. So now the flight deck's moved over. If you're watching on CBS Sports Network, you can see everybody moving around. Musical chairs. Flight deck from my left and my right. Flight deck. Hawk, and there he is, the king, the legend, Alvin DeLauro. Hey, dude. Hello, Jim. Dude, don't change your voice for me. Alvin, anyway, my quick question. Good, yes. to, good to see you. Great to have you on. Does he, is he in the smack-off, Matt in L.A.? He is not currently in the smack-off. Well, that's a lie. He is now. Give him a golden ticket, James Kelly. Just do it. Uh-oh. Hey, James Kelly, how do you not know where the golden ticket button is? You run this thing when he's not there. Go ahead, do it. Matt in L.A. is in the smack off now. Mick Cronin is my guest. Mick, good to have you back. How are you? How you doing, Romy? Things are good, man. You all right out there with all that rain? Man, I'm good out here, Mick. It is raining a lot. It is for us. We're all right, though. How about you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I, 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 we don't need any rain Saturday. We need, we need on the grass at Santa Anita. Yeah, dude, right? Have you got something running? Got a, we got a Cairo Kiss first-time starter son, uh, Saturday. So tell me about that horse. Yeah, well, you know, she's got, a, she's got a shot. You know, optimism abound. You know how that is before they've run. We all think they're going to be great. Yeah, we do, Mick. Yeah, yeah, by the way, right you have now. to. You have to. You know what, Mick? I'm, I'm down. We've kind of scaled back a little bit right now. The best one we have, we're partners in a two-year-old colt. The colt actually just won two-year-old colt of the year for a cowbred, and it's trained by Bob Baffert. It's a horse named Cruel Intention. So he won a couple. We gave him some time off, but he's going to be He's back in training right now. So that's so the best you're ready, we have. You're going to clean up all the cowbred money. We hope, man. Well, we hope. And if he's good, yeah, that goes, Mick. If he's good enough to run open in open company, and we think he is, those cowbred incentives are great. Yeah, you're going to clean it up, man. You're going to clean it up. But it's March 1st, Romy, usually my favorite day of the year, man. Tell me, why is March 1st the best day of the year? Tournament time coming. You know, first of all, when we were kids, you knew you only had three more months of school left. Right. Tournament time's coming, man. You know, it's it, it, when when you you go through the long grind of college basketball. You know, nowadays, man, we we work these kids out in the summer. It's year round, uh, and everybody's got their eye on March, just trying to keep the kids focused. Uh, I think you know, February's the hardest time to coach and keep your guys together, but they, they can see the light when you hit March. Their excitement level picks back up. It's just a little bit easier. Uh, from a motivational standpoint, the, February is a real grind. It's a real grind. Mick Cronin joining us. Now, Mick, looking at the game on Wednesday night against SMU, you beat them oh. 52-49. I can already hear your reaction. Let's be honest. I mean, your guys didn't shoot it especially well. In fact, you shot a season-low 26.6% from the field. Might not have been a pretty win, but how much pride is there that your guys found a way to get it done when they were not having their best night shooting? I think that's just a, the mark of, of programs that are consistent and win every year because you've got to be able to win on those, those cold nights in February uh, when, when you're 
you're ice cold as a team. I mean, we lead our league in three-point shooting percentage. We couldn't throw it in the ocean from the beach, man. We could, but we found a way to win the game. And you just, you know, that I think that's you got to build mental toughness in your team because if you don't, and you only win when you make shots. You're just going to be average because you know shots, you know, made shots come and go throughout your life, man. Like your high school girlfriend. I mean, it's just you're just not going to make them all the time from 22 feet. Mick you got to be able to rebound, defend things you can control. But uh, mental toughness is something I really believe in with the kids. You know, they just that, that you're just going to refuse to lose, and building that inside your program is really important. Yeah, the word here is program, Mick. I mean, I could argue that there are team wins. Was that right there a program win? I would say so. I would say, you know, as a coach, you go, we sit there and you think, you look at the stat sheet and you think, okay, there's only one reason we won this game. You know, your kids, your kids just refuse to lose. And you've had success built up and they find, they just figure out a way to win because that's what they've been doing since they've been here. Uh, and you try to build that. It takes some time, but I, you know, like hey, I'm a big believer. You got to give your players credit because it's not easy to play defense and rebound when you can't make a shot. It's a frustrating thing as a basketball player. So I got really good kids on the team, and they've been great for me all year. Nobody thought we you know, we lost two guys in the NBA. Heck, Gary Clark I think had 17 last night for the Rockets. Uh, Jacob Evans, a first-round pick of, uh, up in Golden State. And we had a great senior in Kyle Washington. So I think people thought we would just be rebuilding this year. So I'm just really happy for my players because I, I think people underestimated them and they've shown they can play. Mick Cronin joining us. Mick, let me keep you on that point because you had a great, great season last year. 31 wins, a regular season conference title, a conference tournament title, and you mentioned Gary Clark. Gary Clark was incredible. He was the conference player of the year. He was the conference defensive player of the year. He was the MVP of the conference tournament. The list just keeps going. The question always is, how do you replace a player like that? So how did you go about doing that? Well, we had we, here, we try to replace from within. You know, it's a... You were not a so-called blue blood, so it's hard for us to get Zion Williamson here. So we got to replace from within. We redshirted a kid named Trey Scott a few years back, and we try to groom guys to replace guys when they graduate. And uh, that, that's just what we've done. We have two kids redshirting right now that are freshmen, uh, and we got to do it from within. You, you, in college basketball, you either have to have elite talent or, or you have to be older. If you get caught when you're too young, you're in trouble. You're definitely going to be rebuilding. You know, young teams really, really struggle unless they're so talented like Duke that their talent supersedes their experience level or their their inexperience, I should say. So we try to stay older as much as we can here. Uh, you know, we've had our one and dones. You know, my man, make him dance. Lance is out there with the Lakers, but uh, and he was great for us. But it's not. You know, it's it's tough to get those kind of guys when you're in the American. And Mick, what was it like having make him dance Lance back in the day? Oh man, he was great. You know, you know what, Romeo? I'll tell you about Lance. You you see him, you watch him. Man. The guy is always happy, and he loved to practice. We had I'll give you a quick one. We used sure. to have two a day practices in like in October, so the guys are all dead tired in between. I I get a workout in. I'm cutting through the gym. He's on the floor with the women's team helping out the women's coach. He's throwing passes to girls coming off for jump shots. That's great. That Didn't is even great. Change clothes. I said, "What are you doing?" He said, "Man, coach, we got practice in an hour. You know, I'm good." That is great. <laughs> he's doing his practice gear out there helping the women's team. He's a he's a free spirit man. He's a great. He's a, he's really a great guy. I'm happy for him. He really loves where he's at right now. We're talking to Mick Cronin, the head coach of Cincinnati. You know, Mick, the topic always comes up about effort and willingness to hustle and grind and battle. I mean, certainly, almost every coach I know is about that. But you, especially, to your point, basketball is eighty to ninety percent effort. So, can you coach effort and hustle, or is that something? You just have to recruit. I think both. You can try to recruit it, uh, but you, until you get a guy in, and you don't really know what, uh, his character level. I think you know. Sometimes, Jim, to be fair, you see kids enough to where you do really know who they are, and sometimes you don't. Uh, you're, you're recruiting them off their talent level, and you don't know what's going to happen until adversity hits. You know, when they get into college, okay, and it's 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 way harder than it's ever been for them. And, you know, I, I, I really I liken it. You and I love, love the races. So, you know, can they take the training? And, you know, can they grind through practice every day? It's no different than when a guy goes to the NBA. Some guys are bust, some guys aren't. You know, can they handle the grind? 
and you know that's where that that when you're a scout like my father was 30 years for the Atlanta Braves you know that you got you got all the the check marks of you know ball handling passing shooting rebounding but you get to that last and most important one where it's personal makeup and what's in the guy's chest what's in his heart and whether that's what really separates athletes so you know you like to say hey we try to recruit those kind of guys but you know, sometimes you got to develop those kind of guys, and and you teach them what hard work is all about, and and that's why college coaching is so different than the pros, because you can do that here at the college level. You can help a guy grow up. You can help a young guy develop his work ethic. You really can. Mick Cronin joining us. Mick, go back to the horses for a minute. So Cairo Kiss is going to run in the fourth tomorrow, eight to one. It's a fourteen horse race coming down the hill. Now I know Mick, you spent some time at Del Mar. If you're a horse owner, even if you're not an owner and just a player, but if you're an owner, man, it is so awesome to run at Del Mar. What was the Del Mar experience like for you? Awesome. It's the best, man. I took my dad last year for a week, rented a condo. We had the best time just sitting around. Uh, Watching sports, going over to the track, seeing the horses. Uh, you know, as you know, Del Mar is just an unbelievable spot to hang out, especially in in August, where it's it's either seventy six or seventy seven every day, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's a, it's a, and uh, just a great experience with him. I've been lucky to have him, and uh, it, was, it was just a great bonding experience. But the, hey, as you know, man, there, there's nothing better. We won two races while we were there too. That so I got Nick, to that... get him in the winner's circle there, man. That you was know, my next like point. My, my dad's old school. He grew up with no father, working two jobs, uh, raised by his mom. You know, for him to be, he never had a vacation in his life, and and uh, to have him sitting out there, you know, in the winter circle at Del Mar was. You know, when it, you can do things for your parents, it's uh, as you get older, you realize, you know, life's not, a, life's not not promised, and to be able to do that with him was just a you know, once in a lifetime experience. Oh, Mick, yeah, there's nothing better. I mean, I, I have to stay on that point for one minute because it's one thing to run at Del Mar; it is another to run at Del Mar and win at Del Mar. But if you've got a father that you could never repay anyway, and you can share that experience with him, and you can win, maybe having adult beverage afterwards and that is that is as good as it gets it doesn't get any better than that well yeah as you know you get up to the champagne room right oh yeah you get up to the champagne what was that room. mick what was that like for those who have never been in there what was that like oh there's nothing like it man you, you mean it literally you know we, we went and started our allowance race in the fifth on a wednesday and thought we won the derby <laughs> my man my man exactly breach preach you, so know, me- you, you know you know whether it's was it your your great was it misdirection no okay so uh, shared belief won the Pacific oh, that's Classic. Right. You had shared belief. That's Pacific right. Classic, Mick. So if you, I mean, you're you're so right. You can win a starter allowance in the middle of the week, and it feels like you won the Derby. So imagine running a three year old in the Pacific Classic, oh. and us walking up there, man. I, I mean, I get chills thinking about it. It was like the most surreal day ever. Well, like you said, man, you get a little bit older in life, you realize, right. you know, experiences. And I'll be honest with you, in coaching. You know, when I was younger, it's just, you know, you're just so hell-bent on you got to win so you keep your job so you can pay your bills, right? That's it. <laughs> but That's back it. when you were, you know, you reach a point in your career that uh, you, you actually do smell the roses and uh, you enjoy the experiences of, of coaching and you realize that, uh, for me, and it's about the kids, right? You know, as much as you, you, know, you want to do, you have goals as a coach, it's not all about you and, uh, and the experience it is just as important as the result. So you enjoy life a little bit more. You get a little more wisdom here as you get older, right? Yeah, we all know this now. We didn't know it then. I didn't even say horse <laughs> racing, Mick. You know what? Like when we when we won back-to-back Breeders' Cup championships with Misdirection and then we got Share Belief, I'm like, man, I love this game. This game's yeah. not that hard. And you come to find out after you get punched in the face, the game is that hard. So any win is good now. Any allowance win, any claiming win, any win is good. It is hard to win, isn't it? In life, it's, it's hard, hard to win. win. At, at anything. At anything. At anything. That's why I try to tell people, you, you, you know, the other night, man, we grinded out a win. Right. And, hey, it wasn't pretty. It doesn't matter. <laughs> because it's hard it to win. Matter. win. It, it is hard to win. To win. It, there's so many people out there that, pour, like you talk about the horse racing, pour millions in. And, that you know, they never see the winner circle of, uh, of the big races they want to. And just like, hey, there's a lot of really good coaches in college basketball. There really are. But guys get guys, players injured. Uh, you know, bad breaks, bad timing. There's so many things that can happen in sports. So it's... you got winning's extremely hard to be. You know, so I'd say you know, I, obviously we're really proud of our consistency. Sanchez, we ready? I guess not. <laughs> 
Welcome to the jungle. What's going on? My name is Jim Rome. Hey, tremendous Monday to you. What's cracking? Hope you had a good weekend. Hope your week's off to a good start. Patriots owner Robert Kraft was being charged with two counts of soliciting prostitution. And having had all weekend to sit on this and think about this, my reaction to this whole thing now is, the hell is that? In the last month, Robert Kraft watched his team win another Super Bowl and solicited a sex worker not once, but twice. Hey, Bobo, I hope that was worth it. And I know it wasn't. And the Academy Award Email. Best Foreign Language Film with English subtitles going to Bodie's Home what's Movies. Hey, what's up, Bubba? Strongest supporting role, Sarah T's 30-year-old corroded bra. bra. Don't sleep on David Sills. Do you feel like people are sleeping on you? I feel like it. I think people are putting a ceiling on me. There's so much upside to my game. And it's going to sound sacrilegious to a lot of you. Freddie Mercury was a fascinating and compelling guy. I just was never a big Queen fan. Ja Rule. I know that did not go the way that you would have liked. Man, but don't jump on Twitter and start banging out weird curses. Man, just roll with it and laugh it off. <laughs> Tom Thibodeau would have laughed at <laughs> Michael Badgley. Brought you a little Money Badger t-shirt. Hey, these fans are tweeting out, you know, the Money Badger this, Money Badger that. You like the nickname, and I go, well, I'm not going to make up my own nickname, so yeah, sure. And it's Levi the Trash Man. Quote, redacted, again manipulating Kraft's penis and testicles. End quote. I'm not going to say that again. I'm doing everything I can to unhear that. I mean, I want to make the whole thing go away. The lady Robert Kraft was paying to punch his down at the rubber day spot was named Wayne. Bro, you know I'm not Grant Napier, right? That nonsense has no business on Sports Talk Radio. Mike Hopkins is my guest. Have you ever seen John Wick? Come on now. Please. He goes, John Wick. He's focused. And discipline. Yes. Commitment. Yes. Yes. Commitment sure yes. will. Yes. I personally invited DA to the smash. Matt, off. stop giving out things that do not belong to you. Damn, Matt, is it not enough that I let you come on this show as often as I do? You're welcome. Outro. Jake Lehman. Did you throw that thing down with authority? Uh, no, it was a fingertip dunk. <laughs> not a great dunk at all. Rob Mendez. I just want to make sure people know that you know their self-worth is something that is overlooked a lot of the time. When I tell the kids that I love you, it's meaning more is like, you love yourself and I love you for that. She literally walked over to our mic and said, are they doing it? Asking about Gaga and Bradley Cooper. My question was, are they going to do it right there on the stage? With his woman sitting right in right. the front row. How do you guys fix things like that? I don't know, it's up to Brad. How do we describe what happened to the Celtics last night? I mean, people much smarter than me have trouble figuring this out. Oh, everybody saw it. Man, that is so out of character. Steve Clifford joining us. Larry Brown was something else. Steve Clifford joining us. Larry Brown was Larry something else. Brown. Steve, what made him What made him the Hall of Fame coach that he is? Was it his ability to teach the game, or was it something else? Oh, uh, I, I would say that he had the whole package. Right in my face. I'm rooting for B.O.B. in this case. Over TMZ. I like TMZ. I just don't need to see a porno involving a 77-year-old man. Email. Rice is about to cut Philly into pieces. This it's his last resort. resort. He said he had been kicked out of the CFL altogether. Kicked out the horse. And worse than that, he was sitting behind Jeremiah Masoli in Hamilton. M-A-S-O-L-I, like the football player. Jeff from Richmond. Jeff in Richmond. Pulling up the Pottery Barn for a massage because his dyslexic ass accidentally Googled rug and tub. Is Josh Rosen our quarterback? Yeah, he is right now for sure. Daniel, Jeremiah joins me. Man, if they are messing with people and trying to drum up interest, I pray, I pray they've had that conversation. With, with Josh Rose. He pulls another rabbit out of his head. But I believe he's got a higher fire up his ass because he sucks at being a color commentator. Anybody with sleep apnea, did I handle that the right way? Should I not have had such a vociferous discussion with my son so close to bedtime? And when is his mother coming home? He screams out to everybody, you guys are horrible! And I looked up and who's up there? Don freaking Johnson with his carved up grill. Scared the hell out of me. Hey, it's a uh, smack off 41. Damn, Alvy, how many grandkids you got now? Smack off 74. The BIC trying to win his 30th. <clears throat> Mick Cronin. Well, yeah, as you know, you get up to the champagne room, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, there's nothing like it, man. You, you mean, it literally, you know, we, we went a starter allowance race in the fifth on a Wednesday and thought we won the Derby. Scott Borat. Is he in the smack off? Matt in LA. He is not currently in the smack off. Well, that's a lie. He is now. Give him a golden ticket, James Kelly. Uh oh. Are we ready? Big fan of the show. Love it. Fat, bald guy. Oh. <laughs> the bus is on fire. The bus is on fire. A sex Touch tape of her daughter. Take those wounds. Just, I just created. John Wick. We're not Rocky Dennis. Vamoose, Borat. Comprehensible. Good night now. Kevin Ioli is my guest. Kevin, it's so good to have you back. How are you? 
It's great to hear from you, Jim. I'm doing awesome. You too. Always, Kevin. So let me start with that. John Jones is going to step into the cage again tomorrow night. It's going to be him defending his light heavyweight belt against Anthony Smith. Kevin, before we talk about that fight, you sat down with him recently, and you had a long conversation. How did he seem to you overall, just from an emotional and psychological standpoint? You know, Jim, it was an interesting interview that I did, and I I really thought this was a different John Jones. You know, many times in the past when he's had screw-ups, he said, oh, I've learned my lesson, and I'm going to change. And I I just thought sitting right next to him and having that conversation, this time there seemed to be a sincerity about it, because I think he realizes the tenuous line that he's on. He has one screw-up, and he's done, um, especially from a PED standpoint. So he came across to me as a lot more sincere in his desire to kind of clean up the trouble that's been uh, surrounding him. You know, hopefully so, right? We've heard that from him before, but I, I know what you're talking about. It's kind of hard to believe, Kevin, but it's been nearly eight years since Jones became the youngest UFC champion. What do you remember about Jones at that time, both just before he won and then right after he won? You know, it was amazing. Uh, Before he won it, he was this happy-go-lucky guy, and he had this huge smile, and you saw this freak build that he had. You know, he was a big, strong, muscular guy with these long arms and long legs, and he was kind of like a giraffe. He'd take one step, and he'd be all across the cage. But he also was, like, so unassuming. You know, I remember uh, one press conference, I believe it was UFC 94. He talked about he watched YouTube to learn how to fight. He would watch videos and then try moves when he got into the cage. Even the day that he won the championship in uh, 2011, he was out meditating, and he saw somebody getting mugged, and he ran down the mugger. And it was just an incredible story. And, and so he was kind of like this young, unassuming guy with this otherworldly talent. I remember it well. I spoke to him at that time, too, and I had the same exact reaction. Now, as you write, at that time, Dana White had warned him about the so-called Klingons. What did Dana mean by that, and then what did Jones make of that warning? You know, uh, Dana often uses that phrase, and what he talks about is the people, kind of the entourage that builds up. You know, when you're uh, on the way up, there's nobody around you other than your coaches and, and close friends, and then all of a sudden you see them when you get popular, when you win a championship, when you have money, all of a sudden you find you have a lot more friends than you used to have, a lot, people, a lot more people in your circle, and they're not necessarily looking to do good for you, and that, that's kind of what Dana uh, meant about it, and really, uh, Jim, I think, you know, what happened, John, you know, realized, it was now he realizes, hey, I was a young guy back then, and I kind of got caught up in all that. He said 70 or 80 percent of the people in his situation would have done the same thing had they been a poor kid all of a sudden thrust into the spotlight with all this money and all this attention. He said they would have gone out and lived it up and partied, too. Kevin Ioli is joining us, and, you know, when you look at him, at that time, he was so dominant. Jones, he was so exciting. He was so electric, and he had this incredible personality. People actually were talking about the notion of John Jones being the Michael Jordan of MMA. What did you make of that suggestion at that time, Kevin? I didn't think it was outrageous at all. You know, I I thought that this was a guy that you're looking at as going— going to be among the best fighters. It's hard to say, you know, when he's a young guy and hasn't fought the best, that he's going to be the greatest fighter of all time. But you could see that he was a different breed. He had elite wrestling, and, and the, the limbs that he had made him different because he was able to strike from ranges that other fighters couldn't, and he could do everything in the cage. So I thought, hey, he has this kind of whimsical personality, and, and then he has this unbelievable ability he turns into a stone-cold killer when the bell rings. I thought for sure, hey, this, this could be the Michael Jordan of MMA, the guy that takes it to the next level. All right, so he was that good. The guy was absolutely amazing, but he made one bad move after another outside of the cage. We're talking legal issues, drug tests, and more. So circling back, Kevin, do you feel like he really has taken ownership of everything that has happened and his role in all these things? I mean, I I think that can only be answered over time and by his actions. But as I look at him and as I talk to him the other day, I I believe he seems to get that now. Even at the uh, Athletic Commission hearing uh, that he was at in Nevada in January, where there was a question whether they were going to license him or not, he seemed to have a big difference in terms of the way he approached uh, his answers. And there wasn't the arrogance and the cockiness that there once was. And he seemed to uh, understand that, hey, you know, he had to humble himself, and I, and I believe he has done that. You know, now I could be taken for a fool, and he could have taken me for a ride like he's done with so many other people. But my sense was that he was being sincere. Now, it's going to be tough for him because one thing he did say is, 
I love to be wild. Um, and he hasn't quit drinking. He, he admitted that. Uh, so there's going to be some challenges out there for him, but I, 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 I'm optimistic at least that he's going to go down the right path. Kevin Ioli joins us. So when he burst onto the scene, the question was, will he be the greatest of all time? And then he's been called the greatest screw-up of all time. And all this time later, this guy, can't, I mean, can we still pose the question, is he the greatest ever? Has he answered that question, or is he still a work in progress inside the cage? Well, I'll give a little plug to a project we have coming up on Yahoo Sports where we talk about that, and we have some athletes that's going to be coming out soon. Our writers pick the greatest of all time, in their opinion, in each sport, and I pick John as the greatest in MMA. Now, some people, the argument, Jim, that would use say John's not the greatest of all time is that he's had these screw-ups. Um, but it hasn't been proven that he's been had a performance-enhancing benefit in any fight. I know the Cormier fight when he knocked him out at UFC 214, he had the, the test failure, but that was actually at the picogram level, um, and so it gave him no benefit. Uh, so there's, uh, there's no evidence out there like there was, say, with some of the baseball players that can't get into the Hall of Fame uh, for steroid use, that he actually had a benefit in the cage. And as long as that's the case, I think you have to look at his accomplishments and the people he's beaten and the manner in which he's beaten them and say he's the best ever. We're talking to Kevin Ioli about UFC 235. If you're watching on CBS Sports Network, the entire card is right there. So he's going to fight Anthony Smith. Now, this is a guy who would also call himself, Kevin, an incredible screw-up. He said, quote, the reason I will not talk about John and his personal struggles except for the steroid stuff is because I've done it all, end quote. So what was he like in high school and then shortly thereafter? He was an incorrigible guy. He's a fascinating kid to talk to, Anthony Smith, and I really enjoyed uh, talking to him and enjoyed writing that story about him. And, and he said, you know, he dropped out of high school. He said, I just didn't care about anything. I just didn't want to be. And he was a guy that was willing to fight at the drop of a hat. He was willing to go out. Uh, he almost killed himself. Uh, he, he was in a one-car accident. He had been drinking and partying all night, uh, fell asleep at the wheel and drove his car into a ditch. And he said, the next thing I remember, I woke up, I was on a ventilator. And uh, he didn't know what had happened, didn't remember anything of the accident at the time. He was a guy that really was going down the wrong path. I, I think it's fair to say in his case, MMA saved him. I was going to say, Kevin, exactly how was this guy able to turn things around? You know, he got, I, I think when he got with the right gym and he started seeing that he had potential and then he got successful, then he got married and had kids that he said, I finally had somebody who needed me. He saw that he had the ability to earn for his family because he knew he had ability to fight. And he, he said, I never had somebody that needed me before. And now all of a sudden I have a wife and three children. They, they rely on me. They need me. That put him over the top. Kevin Ioli joining us. Kevin, can he, what kind of problems can he pose for Jones? And do you get the sense that Jones is at all worried about him? Jones is definitely not worried about him. I can tell you that. And I, you know, John said that he's taken uh, taken him very seriously in camp and prepared for him. I, I think the one way that Anthony Smith wins this fight is if John's kind of looking past him and John's saying, "Hey, you know what? I can beat him without really taking him seriously and, and look to uh, the fight down the road, whoever that might be, whether it be with DC or somebody else." Uh, but. If, if John is focused, I, I just don't see Anthony Smith having the goods to beat him. And I know one of the issues has been in the fight promotion. Hey, Alexander Gustafson at 6'5", and that height gave John a little bit of trouble that nobody else could. But when you see Anthony Smith and John Jones standing side by side, John Jones has two or three inches on him. And so I don't necessarily think the length is going to be the kind of problem that some people suspect. And I, I think John will probably win the fight. We're talking to Kevin Ioli for a few more moments. Kevin, Ben Askren is making his UFC debut this weekend after going back and forth with Dana for quite some time. You know, let me ask you this. Like, when you think of the great, great grapplers in that sport, obviously Habib comes to mind. Is Askren in his class? Is he that good? I believe he is. I believe, you know, you look at it. This is a uh, two-time NCAA wrestling champion, a four-time All-American. He goes to Bellator. He becomes their welterweight champion. And basically nobody can even hit him. I mean, he's so good. And then uh, they get rid of him, and he goes to one uh, fighting championship. He becomes their champion. I mean, the, all the guy does is win. 
And I talked to uh, Tyron Woodley about him the other day, the UFC welterweight champion. He was a, a teammate of Askren's at Missouri, along with Michael Chandler, who became a Bellator champion. So that, on that one college wrestling team in the mid-2000s, they had three future MMA world champions, Woodley, uh, Askren, and uh, Michael Chandler. And Woodley said, you just don't understand how strong Askren is and what a grip he has until he puts his hands on you. And Woodley said that what makes it different is he said once he gets you, he can hold that for five, six, seven minutes, and, and he doesn't loosen up. So if he gets you in a choke, it's only getting tighter and never looser, and people can't get away from him. It's just amazing that a guy with very rudimentary striking can be so dominant. Yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to see it. Speaking of Woodley, he's going to fight on that same card. He's looking to make his fifth title defense. So when you look at his career and what he's put together, where does he rank among the all-time greats? I think you got to put him in the top three right now of the all-time great welterweights. And he's moving toward George St. Pierre. You know, I, I think, and given a nod to Matt Hughes, uh, who, who was in the earlier days, you know, I think Woodley has probably surpassed him, but Matt Hughes had more title defenses. So if we put Matt Hughes ahead of him, the only other person would be George St. Pierre. And there's no question at this point in time, St. Pierre beat more elite fighters over a longer period of time. But I think Woodley is starting to move in that direction. And when I asked John Jones about it, the one thing uh, that uh, John mentioned is he said, Woodley is facing better competition that, than George St. Pierre even did. And so that has to factor into it. So if that's the answer there, how do you think Askren would do against GSP? GSP walked away, but how do you think Askren would fare against him? I think that would be a fascinating fight, and I think that, you know, George was so well-rounded, and, and he basically was a terrific striker and a terrific wrestler. So George was the kind of guy that would look at a fighter and say, okay, I don't want to be grappling with this guy, so use his striking, and I don't want to um, strike with this guy, so he'd use his wrestling. You know, obviously he would try to keep it standing against Askren. I don't think George ever fought somebody with Askren's wrestling ability, and I think that would have been a pick em fight. While George had way better striking and probably could have jabbed Askren, I don't think that George ever had a fend-off a takedown from somebody like Ben Askren, and so it would have been a fascinating battle. I wish we had seen it. Kevin Ioli breaking down combat sports. Kevin, one last thought. You're a huge Vegas Golden Knights fan. Last year obviously was a magical season, but it was last year, and you know those two words that you never want to say to a team, last year. So how does the team look to you this year? You know, they haven't played as well, but I actually think they have a better team. And trading for Mark Stone from Ottawa the other day was a huge move. You're talking about one of the best forwards in the NHL, a two-way forward. And I think the Golden Knights now, they have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. I'm not going to predict them to win the Stanley Cup, but if you get in the playoffs and you win a couple games, you have a chance to do it. And I believe with the goal scoring they have and the goaltending they have, Marc-Andre Fleury, you might have seen that article on The Athletic yesterday, and they asked NHL players, which player would you want to be playing goal for you on Game 7 of any series? And uh, Marc-Andre Fleury came in second behind Carey Price. So I think they have the elements to win the Stanley Cup. The problem problem they're going to have is they're going to open the first two rounds of the playoffs on the road because they're third in their division. Good night now!